Welcome to Hope Talks, Stories of Transformation. Hope Talks is a project of David's United Church of Christ in Canal Winchester, Ohio, and dedicated to providing stories with different perspectives of hope. Greetings, everyone. Jim Nolan here. Thank you for joining me for another conversation about finding and holding on to hope in these difficult times we find ourselves in. Our jumping off point today, strange as it may seem, is my remembrance of visits to the dentist office as a young man, something many of us hardly ever look forward to. My dentist walls were covered with elaborate scenes from nature, from the outdoors. And before he began to poke around my mouth, his assistant would put headphones on me so I could listen to the sounds of birds chirping and a babbling brook and the like. Everything designed to soothe my anxious mind. I carry sort of similar reactions with me even today when I take to the running trails around the Columbus Park system, surrounded by sights and sounds and smells of nature. It's a moving meditation, as it were. So I wonder as we begin today, what is it about being in the midst of God's creation that most of us find rather soothing? Someone who's thought a lot about the pull of nature on our souls is Greg Whitman, forester and naturalist who has spent the better part of his life teaching and educating people about our environment and our connection with the environment. So Greg, as we begin, I, I wonder, is it the Novocaine talking or is it a valid premise to ask about why is it that nature, being in and around nature gives us such, such a sense of hope. Well, thank you for having me to talk about this today. And yeah, uh, uh, having a sense of hope through nature is probably not something that's very uh, new at all. Um, I was uh, thinking about some stories where uh, Jesus in the Bible would, would go off into nature by himself and reflect and pray and and just you know collect himself you know and yeah i i have a feeling that that we all find a way to do that one way or another whether it's um uh, with nature or not but i personally um am so attracted to the idea of being in nature because it feels very normal and natural to me it feels very uh very innate if you will How did you happen to get into this line of work? Well, it's a very roundabout way. I, um, I happened to have um, uh, gotten a degree in forestry from uh, when I graduated from high school, I worked at a park system for a year and then got a, an associate's degree in forestry at Hawking College down in Southern Ohio. And then, um, did what most people who major in forestry in Ohio do. I cut grass for a season and then became a social worker a few years after that. <laughs> uh, not a lot of forestry going on in Ohio. but um, So shortly after that, um, 
I, I uh, became married in, in uh, 1985 and then um, was a social worker for a while. And then, and then uh, a few years later, started working on my teaching degree very slowly. And um, in uh, 95, I was one of the older uh, uh, students to graduate from Ohio Dominican in, in teaching uh, with a teaching degree. And then I taught for four years in the classroom before I decided, what am I doing in the classroom? And decided that I um, had other things that were taking precedent in my life at the moment that I had to address with my family and such. And so um, I found myself working part-time and volunteering with the Metro Parks. And so I uh, started working as a, a volunteering as a naturalist and then ended up getting a job um, as a part-time naturalist and uh, really I'd have to say found my niche. Um, I love teaching and I love um, I love the idea of uh, inspiring people to think about nature in a, in a different way or a new way. Share with me, if you will, uh, when we were talking prior to this, you mentioned an experience about going to the Rocky Mountains when you were a teenager, I think is, it was, that kind of really stirred your soul. Can you yeah, I, I grew up share in a, with us? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I grew up in a family where there were uh, eight kids, and so my, my dad... Uh, he went out and he was a realtor and he had to feed all, all 10 of us. And so um, we did find ourselves one year all in a car uh, in a van uh, heading out west, which we never had done that before. I was probably 16 years old at the time. And I didn't really know exactly what I was going to do. I thought I wanted to do something outside with nature, but I didn't know. And um, I remember getting out of the van when we went to Estes Park, Colorado, and we pulled into this area and immediately my, my face was just fixed on this view of the gorgeous blue sky um, and just a few puffy clouds with gor a gorgeous mountain lake and um, one of the most beautiful scenes, uh, sceneries I've ever seen. And I just remember standing there in awe and I just remember crying. I, I just started crying. And I was so touched and so taken by that experience that I just, uh, it, it changed me. And uh, that was when I was about 16 and so I kind of realized through that experience that, yeah, this, this is something that kind of, uh, I should remember about this because I am moved by nature and pretty much have been ever since. Do you think there's a connection in that movement that a lot of us share and feel with, um, with our, our mental health? Um, and, and I don't, mean that in the necessarily in the extreme sense, but we'll go back to the uh, the story of the dentist chair. You know, you sit down the dentist chair, most of us, you know, anxious and a little bit skittish. Uh, is, is there something healing 
in our interaction with nature that you found over your years of, of teaching and, and experiencing the wild? Well, that's a great question. And um, it, it is so interesting that when, I, I, when you're teaching about nature and you're, you're sharing nature with people, whether it's little kids um, or, or grownups that are 99 years old, um, sharing nature with people, you, you get all of their prior experiences that have come with nature. You get to see that. <laughs> and sometimes that's a great thing. And sometimes that's a hard thing. And um, I, what I notice is that um, there are sometimes when people come out and they start off a little intense. Oh, we got to get this hike going. We got to get moving. And we got to, you know, what, what time, you know. And then about 10 minutes into the hike, they're calming down a little bit. And then uh, usually by the end of the walk and the end of the experience, um, you can see their shoulders letting down. You can see people breathing a little more easily. And um, it, uh, there's something that I wanted to touch on that's related to that. And that is the Japanese concept of Shin-Rin-Yoku, which, which interprets as forest bathing. Forest gazing? Bathing, as in taking a bath. Oh, bathing, wow. Forest bathing. So what it basically is, is bathing your learning senses using nature. And so it's, it's, not at all, it's not at all about taking a bath. It's not at all about being in water with soap. It's about, it's about uh, exposing your learning senses, your sense of seeing, smelling, tasting, hearing, touching, um, your, your intuitive sense. And it's, a, it's about using your senses to, to connect and to reconnect. Um, and so they, they have this, uh, and when I was a kid, we just called it going out into the woods, but now they have this big highfalutin term, Shinrin-yoku or forest bathing. Um, and so I guess, uh, it, it, it probably, uh, is more natural than a lot of people, uh, would be willing to, to realize. But the, the thing that I'm, I'm amazed at is that they actually use that in, Japan as a way to help people be able to connect and fall in love with nature so that they will do the right things to be able to make the right decisions in their life to care for nature, to, to be good stewards of nature. <clears throat> it sort of sounds like when I get stressed and frustrated, I'll sometimes erupt and say, I got to go take a walk. Uh, is yeah. that... <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, unless you're walking Japanese in spirit. Yeah, unless you're walking around the the mall with all the stores and the the loud. <laughs> yeah. But also, forgive me. It's it sort of sounds like the perfect anecdote. Antidote. Can't say the word um, to this kind of pandemic time that we find ourselves in when we're all cooped up and and. Uh, just feeling all sorts of pent up things. I can, I can see the, the trees and the woods coming at me and I wanna be involved in that. Is, is that. is it an anecdote for the loneliness of our pandemic age? 
Well, you know, that that is something that I think we are all thinking about more now than we were before. And I think that, <clears throat> that there are things that happen in our lives that sometimes are conduits to positive change. And sometimes uh, what I've noticed with the, the whole thing with the, the pandemic, um, out at the park, our, on, a, on a Monday or a Tuesday morning or afternoon, where I work at, at the Metro Parks, we, we would have a few cars in the parking lot. Now, the parking lots are pretty full almost all the time. It's mm -hmm. amazing how many people are drawn to walk, to be out in nature. And sometimes it's, it's in, during times when the trails are, are too icy or wet to ride a bike. So there's not just a bunch of bikers, there's people out wanting to really be outside, even in the elements. And um, I think we are drawn to that. And I think that it's something that, that um, uh, people have in some way, whether accidental or on purpose in their lives, somehow have connected with nature in a way that has changed or moved them to the point um, of, of realizing how much nature can heal us. Before we get to some practical ways that people might want to engage, um, I want to ask you about, about what role faith plays in your experience with nature. Do you believe that what you believe has shaped how you look at nature? Or has your understanding of nature perhaps shaped your faith in what you believe? Well, that that's a great question, too. And I tell you, I'm just full of great questions today. You are, and, and these are thought, some of them I've actually thought of before. <laughs> um, this is the, the, the way that I, I see it is um, I believe that, that I was an outdoor kid from a very young age. And so I believe that I was attracted to nature from a very young age. And I spent a lot of time outside um, when I was younger. And so I think that sometimes um, the, the whole idea of spirituality and faith and nature are, are so intertwined and come together so well, because if you, if you believe in a creator and a higher power, and you believe that uh, the, the world was, was created um, and, and was transformed and, perhaps, uh, you know, all of the, the science words that we want to use in order to, to explain how the world came to be um, evolving in the whole bit. Whatever you believe, I think that it's important that it, at some point there, there is this, this innate connection, this, this type of connection that happens with our faith and with nature. And it's interesting when I when I see uh, when I see people out in in nature. Sometimes I'll I'll see people coming out to get exercise and they're hurrying along and doing all that, and then I'll see people that are just out to walk their dog or to to just be, 
And I, I pay attention to, to people sometimes who are out by themselves in nature. And what I notice is that sometimes people are just coming out to, to just get reconnected and to just, to just get refueled. And I think that, that sometimes we refuel our faith, our faith in creation, our faith in nature to move us and to change us. And um, I, I think that they're both very related. I'm not sure which came first, but I, I do think that they are both so intertwined in my life. What, what, what are some practi <clears throat> practical ways people can either engage or re-engage with nature where they can be more mindful of their environment? Well, that, that idea I men mentioned earlier, the Shinrin-yoku, the, the forest bathing, um, that is certainly an idea where you immerse your senses in, in nature. Um, if you look at, a, if you, if you uh, I do family hikes and, and things, and I, I sometimes will do a sensory walk, and I'll see, um, I'll see the little kids lying on the ground, following an ant up a wall. And I tell people that is how we should be experiencing nature. <laughs> we should be on our bellies on the ground following the ant. So practical uh, some, to some of us, it might be. Um, another thing that I am creating at, at a, a park that I work at is um, uh, the, the idea of a mindfulness trail. Uh, a place, a mindfulness trail, you said. A mindfulness trail, and that the mindfulness trail or the meditation trail is a place where people can can go and calm down and and slow down and perhaps sit or do nothing and just connect, just just observe, uh, be a, a part of nature. And one of the things I, I tell people, and this is kind of a uh, culminating thing with with a lot of what I've learned is that until we see ourselves as nature truly as being nature just as much as a toad or just as much as a bug when we see ourselves as being nature that is when transformation and change can really take place and wow part of the whole idea of of um, doing a, a meditation slash um, mindfulness walk is is to just reconnect with the fact that we are nature. So are you telling me I have to channel my inner rock? <laughs> I, always, I always thought you did, Jim. <laughs> Say more about that though. I, I know you've been, you, you once told me you were engaging in some work about helping people create their own sanctuaries when they oh. might have easy access to a, to a park setting uh, or, or whatnot. Say a little more about that. Well, I tell you, it, it's pretty amazing what happened during this pandemic because um, I had tons of time at home. And um, one of the jobs I had to do is to make videos um, in my own backyard. And so I started making all these videos of, of you know, how to build a fire in your own backyard, how to um, 
do some organic gardening, uh, you know, how to, how to um, uh, nurture nature in your own backyard and, and make your yard a wildlife habitat where animals want to come and, and be a part of your backyard. And so going out to, when I was able to go out to a, a plant store uh, to, go, to go get some plants to nurture my yard, nothing was there. It was everybody wanted to go nurture their space, to be able to bring, um, to bring nature to their space as a way to, to connect since they couldn't go anywhere else. And so um, I started getting the idea that maybe people need a little help with that. And so that's, that's one thing that I, I often will do is, is help people through a, a basically just a kind of a backyard wildlife habitat thing. I call myself the backyard naturalist. And my, my goal is to just help people bring, bring, whether it's a meditation space or a sitting space or a reading space, or an organic garden or butterfly garden or whatever. Uh, people love that. And I think it's something that we all, we all uh, yearn for. Do I remember right you telling me a story about how you did that with your father? Was oh, it? yeah. Yeah. My, Tell me about that. Yeah, my father died when he was 68 years old. But the last four years of his life, he, um, he was paralyzed from the waist down and uh, could not uh, do a whole lot of walking around. And he's the one who taught me to love the outdoors as well as my mother. But, um, and the whole idea of my dad not getting to do a, a whole bunch outside was kind of hard for him. And so uh, for the first couple of years until he learned how to get around in the wheelchair and et cetera, um, I remember just feeling so bad because the man, one of the people who taught me how to love fishing and, and nature wasn't able to see nature. So I brought in a bunch of bird feeders and bird baths and any gadget I could find to, to um, suction cup to my dad's window where he was in our dining room. And he used to get the biggest kick out of seeing all of these birds coming to these feeders that I put up around, around the windows. And to me, that, that is a gift that um, I was able to give back to my dad. Sometimes I, th <clears throat> I think it's the, the, uh, the simplest moments and the simplest acts that are the most sacred. Greg, I want to thank you for sharing your thoughts and experiences with us today. And I, I want to uh, invite uh, those listening as we conclude, if, if you would like to know more about how to uh, uh, build your own backyard sanctuary or habitat or learn how to walk a mindfulness trail and want to have more conversation with Greg, um, or if you know someone who has a hopeful story to share with us, um, please drop us an email at hopetalks at davidsucc.org and we'll be sure to pass your connection on to Greg. And meantime, I thank everyone for listening and stay blessed. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this segment of Hope Talks. I hope you join us again. 
And please encourage others to listen and check out other David's United Church of Christ programs at davidsucc.net. It is our hope that your day is filled with hope. Thank you.